What do you fear? What are you afraid of? What are the things that maybe keep you up at night or could keep you up at night or maybe have kept you up at night? What's your relationship with fear like? Do you love fear? Do you hate fear? Do you try and avoid fear? What is your experience of fear? In the Bible, it's this kind of an interesting juxtaposition. There's, the Bible says, fear not, for I am with you. But then it also says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear not, for I am with you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Which is it? Why? How much impact does understanding what fear might actually look like and what role fear plays in the life of the church? Uh, we continue our series today looking at becoming the church and we're doing a deep dive into the book of Acts and we're exploring what it looked like when they were first becoming the church. So there's this, this little hodgepodge group of 120 Christians that's exploded with about 3,000 added to their number. That's where we're kind of up to. And we're learning what were the systems they put in place? What were the experiences that they had? What were the things that went on? They kind of helped set them up to become a group that spread across the world and is still the majority religion in the world today. What happened? How did that take shape? How is it that it's kind of spread to every nation and tongue, or at least it's getting very close to that? And how can we learn as we rebuild as a church, as we see new life and new vitality and new hope and new direction? What can we learn from that church? And today in particular, we're going to look at a story that would have been really, really easy to skip. It's one of those stories that you kind of go, that's not in the Bible. Like this, where did James find this? That, that's not, that's not what I experienced. I don't know that. What do we do when we come across a story in the Bible that may not fit our expectations? When we come across a story in the Bible that makes us go, oh, that, that's a bit uncomfortable. But before we do that, we're going to give a bit of context. We're going to read the section that's directly before it. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Get out your phones, get out your physical Bibles, uh, whatever it is that you've got, follow along with me. Uh, Acts chapter 4, we're going to pick it up at verse 32. It reads very, very similarly to Acts chapter 2 that we looked at over the last couple of weeks. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
So I want to pause there for a moment. Up until this point, pretty much the whole first few chapters, it's almost like we're looking at things through rose-colored glasses. It's kind of like those times where, oh, remember when? Remember back when things were good? Remember back? I remember how it was like when that first started. I remember when. Oh, gee, wouldn't it be great to go back to? Oh, wow, isn't it amazing when we had that experience? You know, when that group first started going and, oh, we used to do this and, oh, wasn't that phenomenal? Remember when? And so up until this point, as we actually read through the first few chapters of Acts, if you're like me, and maybe you are, maybe you're not, it actually seems almost unattainable. Like, it doesn't seem fit to my experience of life in church. Sorry. Nothing against you guys. I love you guys. But this way that everybody had of the same mind and everybody saw, now, I'm going to come to your house today and I'm going to take a pick of what I want. And that, no, that's not how it's going to work. But, but it's kind of like this story we're in up until this point and it's this fantastic experience of church and it's like, remember when, wouldn't it be great to go and experience that? And then we come across today's story. So let's jump over into the next chapter, Acts chapter 5. It continues on. It's a very similar story to one of the stories that was just there. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, just like Barnabas did, just like many others had been doing. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped, him up, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. I remember when... Can we, can, we, can we go back to that? Now, there's a couple of key things you have to know to kind of understand the context of what's going on here. There was no requirement to sell your property and give it to the church. There is no biblical mandate that says they had to do this. And even if they would choose to, there was no biblical mandate that said they had to give all of the funds. They could give $5, they could give $10, they could give $100, they could give whatever they wanted to give. What's inferred in this passage is not only did they withhold some funds, that actually wasn't the problem. They presented it as if, well, in this case, he presented it, Ananias presented it, as if this was the entire 
amount. He saw all these other apostles, all these other disciples, all these other followers of Jesus selling their properties and coming and giving the whole amount to them. And they didn't want to be seen as less than that. They didn't want to seem to be as not meeting that criteria. But they just didn't want to give it all. So they chose to hold some money back. Perfectly okay. But they also chose to present it as if it was the full amount. So what happens next? About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Okay, so she didn't realize what's taken place. Peter asked her, tell me. So he's very direct here. And this is how we know that this is exactly what happened. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? So directly ask her, is this the amount? Like, is this the full amount or is this just part of it? It doesn't matter, but is this the case? Yes, she said, that is the price. And I can almost imagine her saying it like proud, like, isn't it great that we gave all of the money to the church? And isn't it just amazing? And oh, it's so good. I can just imagine she's really excited that maybe we're getting away with this. This is great. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Surprise, surprise, I added that. Great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. And yet, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. More and more people believed in the Lord and added to them. Isn't this a great church growth principle? Like, could you just see how this is, uh, people in church dropping down dead is not exactly going to be like church growth 101. So they're meeting together in the colonnades and those who are around them are so afraid that they won't even meet with them. So we're going to try and make South Yonder scared. Of, no, that's not what I'm working towards. But just actually imagine this for a moment because if you're like me, you read this and just go, that's a what? It was so easy to skip over this story because it's like, what do you mean just because they told a little white lie? It was obviously more than a white lie, but that's how they would kind of seen it. It was just a little white lie, just a little bit held back. And they dropped down dead. Like, is that what's going to happen to us? What, what's going on? So what's happening in this moment is human nature is beginning to creep into the church. It seems almost up until this point, it's just been kind of rainbows and butterflies and fluffiness. Remember when? Remember when? But almost, okay, I don't necessarily resonate with people who are dropping dead in church, but I, I resonate with this a bit more. This is a bit more true to my experience of people. There's almost a bit more of a sense of, 
yeah, that's kind of what I would expect to happen. Like, okay, some people are going to be really generous. Those super Christians, they're the ones that are going to be, and the rest of us plebs are going to try and kind of get away with stuff. Or maybe that's just me. It happens. And it's this time where at this moment, human nature seemed to be just starting to creep in. And as we look at this story and as we go a bit deeper and we try and think about what's going on here, I want to raise one flag right here and say, I really, 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 really want to explain this fear away. And to some degree, across the rest of this message, I am going to try and put it in its context and I am going to try and express what's going on and, and help us leave here not all petrified of dropping down dead if we tell a white lie next time. But maybe that bit of fear isn't so bad. We'll see. We'll cover that. This is shared not as, a, not as a metaphor, oh, they died. This is not shared as just kind of like a parable. This is written in our Bibles as an accurate description of true events. And if, as we continue on and we do put it in its context and we do talk a bit about what it's actually going on and why it's happening, and if in doing so we explain the fear away, we have not accurately read the scripture. But as we look at the rest of it, please don't hear me trying to say that this fear wasn't real. They were genuinely fearful. There was genuine fear in the church. And it was appropriate. So one of the places that we start is in that place I sort of alluded to in Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's this kind of sense, and it's one of the realities of the world we live in today. Uh, across the whole of Christian history, the experience in the church has kind of ebbed and flowed between having a really strong sense of the fear of God and, yeah, God's not very loving. I just kind of experience the fear of God. I'm just, a, I'm just afraid all the time. And you can actually see periods of the church where that was the overwhelming experience of the average Christian. You were just afraid of what was going to happen if you did anything wrong. But then there are other times in the life of church and the life of our society and culture where we are absolutely focused on the love of God and this idea that God is lovely and fluffy and rainbows and nice and joyous and friendly and, and, we, and we're right because they are all characteristics of God. And as people, we tend to have a hard time navigating multiple emotions and multiple ways of experiencing things. And so we'll kind of pendulum between one to the other. And we'll experience some strengths and some weaknesses of each of them. And in our current world context at the moment, we are absolutely focused in on the experience of the love of God. And that's appropriate because it is littered throughout the scriptures. God is love. 
Now, the word that's used here for fear, because it is important, it is important to look at what's actually going on. The word in the Proverbs for fear is the Hebrew word, yurah. I love the Hebrew language. I've only heard it. I can't speak it. I've, I know enough to find words and work out. It just sounds as like there's something to it. Like, oh, there's like strength behind it. Yurah. And it means fear, actual fear, like actual, but it also means awe. And sometimes it is actually translated as worship. Reverence. It's kind of like in the Old Testament where there was this principle of if you came in the presence of God, you would like, you would like almost shake. That you were just so aware of the power of God. God is awesome. Like we, we use awesome. Oh, awesome. Yeah, man, awesome. That's awesome. Well, we don't really know what that word means anymore. But it means to kind of be in the presence of something that is so overwhelming that you're just so aware of your smallness. Not negative, not necessarily a bad thing, but just, just deeply, deeply aware of how, I'm sorry to say, insignificant you are. I'm talking to myself as well. Because of the amazing nature of this God that we stand and an awareness that he has a strength that is greater than we could imagine. And it's awesome. And yet, and this is where we struggle because we kind of go one or the other, that God loves us so much. And we'll get to that in a moment. Now, the, the Greek word that's used in what we were reading before is phobos. It almost always just means fear. It is also translated or in a few contexts. So I, I, that's where I, I can't exactly say that it's a like-for-like like directly. Generally speaking, in the Greek, it's talking about they were actually genuinely afraid. Like It was a genuine sense of, if God can do that, then what? whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think it's outside the realms of expressing and tying it to that Old Testament understanding of and the reason for this is actually, as you look at Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Really catch that. It is for freedom. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For our freedom, so that we can be free from sin, so that we can be free from those things that pull us away from God, so we can be free from those things that draw us to do things again and again and again and again that we just shouldn't do. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Oh, but God just loves me so much and I can just keep going and doing it all and I'll just ask for forgiveness and it'll be okay. You have been freed from sin. You've been freed. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And there's an aspect of the reality that having a healthy understanding of the fear of God, of the awesomeness of God, of the amazingness of God, it's meant to help us not just go and do all the things that would be really easy for us to do. Because sin still comes as our second nature. 
Again, might be just talking for myself, but I think I'm on fairly safe ground. See, fear is meant to be a mechanism for correction and or safety. If you are near a tiger without its keeper, you should be fearful. It is entirely appropriate. It is for your safety that you should run, except you better hope that something else because it's going to outrun you. Anyway, but besides the point, fear is meant to be a mechanism for correction and safety. Actually having a sense of the fear of God is meant to help us recognize we serve an awesome God. And in doing so, it will help us to live in line with what is going to be best for us. See, fearing God is a healthy part of a robust faith. It's the kind of faith where you kind of, you can actually almost sit, not as equals, because you will never be equal to God, but you can kind of sit and have an honest conversation because you really get the character of God. Having a true reverence for the Lord Almighty. Almighty. Having an understanding of just how significant and great He is. Will help you follow Him. And here is the key, and this is where they all come together. And please don't do what we do so easily, where we either hold one... I'm so afraid of God. Oh my goodness. Like he could just zap me and I would just, oh. And the love of God. Oh God, he's so good. He's so great. He's so nice. He's so forgiving. He's so loving. You need to hold them together in tension. We fear God through the lens of the love of God. We fear God through the lens of the love of God. And this is where we get this from. Romans 8, 31 to 32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, if the Lord Almighty is for us, if the, if the creator of the universe is for us, if the Alpha and the Omega is for us, what can be against us? Who can be against us? How could anything be against us? In light of that God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, the God that we actually are meant to experience a healthy, reverential awareness of fear for is the very same God who, while we were still sinners, while we were still like this, turning our backs to him, while we were far from him with no direction and no desire to know him, when we hated him, in that moment Christ died And it's through the lens of that understanding, that it's through that lens that we have a healthy awareness of just how big God is. 
This story is in the book of Acts. I, it would have been so much easier to skip it. I've said it a few times, but it's like it's genuine. Like you don't read this sort of story. We don't see this really happening today. So maybe that was something that was for that time. Maybe it was an example of this is early days. We've got to stamp this out. We can't have this coming into the church. Maybe that's what was going on. But I don't for a moment want to discount the fear that was experienced. Because it actually was a healthy sense of fear. And if you remember when we read it, it said they were afraid to go and join them. But it also said that more and more people came to know the grace of Jesus. That more and more were added to their number. More and more people got through and went, God, I see you and I want you and I need you. It didn't stop people coming to God. It made sure that when they did, they understood just the significance of the God that they served. So a few reflection questions for you to take with you today. How do you feel about fearing God? easy to love God, it's easy to like God, it's easy to kind of go, yeah, all the fluffy rainbows. How do you actually, how does that make you feel like, take some time, take this away and wrestle with it. We see it again and again and again in the Old Testament. When people came into the presence of God, it was a fearful moment. Do, do you need to maybe rediscover, and again, it's, it, it's almost hard to say this, but there's a reality of do you actually need to open yourself up a little bit more to recognize just how big the God you serve is? How do you feel about fearing God? Uh, does the idea of fearing God challenge your understanding of the love of God? Because there, there will be some, and sometimes this will be because of previous experience, and there is life circumstances where you would associate fear of the people that do not love you. And that is not what we're talking about. You, you might have had some things that happened in your past. And you're like, they're the people I fear and they did not love me. That's a different kind of fear. How does this get connected with? How does this correspond to? How do you look at this fear through the lens of the love that God has for you? And then finally, could fearing God help free you? Could fearing God help free you from other fear? If the God of the universe is for us, who could be against us? If he loves me, what do I have to fear? If he's for me, what do I have? And maybe, just maybe, having a healthy, reverential awareness of the fear of God will help you when those temptations come along. And it would be easy to say, you know what, I'm just going to give in, I'm just going to do them, and then ask for forgiveness, and God will forgive me, and he will. But maybe, just maybe, remembering that Jesus gave his life for you to do that. That Jesus gave his life to pay for that giving into that temptation. That Jesus gave his life so that you no longer have to be a slave to giving in to those aspects of your life and your character 
that you know are not good for you, that you know do not lead to life, that you know will not bring about the vitality that God desires for you. And maybe, just maybe, deepening your understanding of the awesomeness of God might help you to experience that differently. Go back and read this story again in your own time. Let it be kind of fresh. Maybe you haven't read this before. But I didn't know that was in the Bible. Where did that come from? Have a look. Have a read. Have a think. Don't let this just be another. Let it be the pebble that sits in your shoe. Let, let you wrestle with it for a second. Oh, but I didn't think I was meant to be afraid of God. I've got enough people to be afraid of in my life. Maybe that's your experience. Wrestle with it. Think it through. Let the Spirit move in your life. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He is for you. What can be against you? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that it is through love that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. The love of God seems relatively simple, at least to understand, even if some of us may not feel that we deserve it. But Lord, this story is tough. Help us as we think about fear. Help us to be open to seeing what it can mean in our lives and the protection mechanism that it can be and the understanding that it can bring and the strength that it can garner. Help us to reflect on your character. And to see all this through the lens of your deep, deep love. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.